Okay, folks, we're, we're going to be bouncing around a couple of different uh, passages today, um, but we'll, we'll start in Hebrews uh, 13. Uh, today uh, is going to be just a, a few wee, uh, sermons, kind of just separate to anything else, not part of a series or part of any wider teaching. They'll kind of just stand all on their own. But uh, tonight, then, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the greatest science experiments ever conducted in Scripture, um, where more money, more research was put in than you might possibly think. And the idea is, how do we be happy? How can we be happy in this world? How can we find happiness in this world? The great experiment. And so we're going to be looking at that tonight at one man who went all out to see where he could find happiness. Next week, then, we'll start a new series called Gardener's World. And in Gardener's World, we'll be looking at a lot of sort of uh, gardening metaphors in Scripture uh, to look at how, uh, as Christians, we can not only be growing, but blossoming uh, and being fruitful and being attractive to the world. Uh, And so there'll be lots of different metaphors uh, all tied in through. But as we come into the summer with people heading away and doing different things, again, they'll all kind of stand on their own. So it means if you're away in, in, in Italy or Spain or wherever you're going for your holidays, you can come back and you can pick up the series straight away and you'll not uh, be trying to play catch-up. But first, this morning, a story. It's called, Whose Job Is It Anyway? This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done in the church and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Well, everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. The truth is that as a church, we need to be reminding ourselves that church is not the building. Uh, You didn't come to church today. I hate to break it to you, but you did not come to church today. You came to a service today. But the church is not something that you come to. It is something that you are or are not. For it's made up of the people who are saved and belong to Christ. That's the church. Which means that the children that left for the junior Bible class and the senior Bible class, for for those who are saved, they're as much as part of the church as I am as pastor or, or the elders are. The church is the people. It's not a place. Places aren't sacred, but people are sacred, which is why it's important that we take our stance in homosexuality and abortion and transgenderism because people are sacred in Christianity. It's sacred. Places aren't, which is why you could go to Jerusalem today and you'll find the presence of God no more powerful there than you'll find it among us as his people in in Newton Arts today. But instead, God has commissioned us to be his ambassadors here, to be his representatives here, to the world that is living here in this corner of our country, a group made up of people who are saved as children, who are saved as adults, who are saved out of good families, who are saved out of addiction, who are saved out of all sorts of different combinations of of, uh, circumstances to represent God here. Together we form the church at Ards Evangelical Church. And God is at work here. The local congregation here and is empowered here by the Holy Spirit and is informed by the Word of God and is held together by Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the ringmaster. So what's holding us together 
really as a church isn't uh, preaching or, or music or children's ministries or uh, early service times or whatever it happens to be. What holds us together, what binds us together is the shared experience of grace. That's what draws us together. That's what binds us together. Because without grace, really together, individually, we have no chance of convincing a world out there that, uh, well, certainly they'll not be impressed by us as we try to reveal the work of Christ in us. We need grace. And I'm deliberately wanting to talk about this because it falls on from our AGM. And it gives me a window to maybe just raise some of these things and talk about what it means to belong to a group of believers in a local congregation. Because membership is a mark of commitment to that process of revealing Christ to the local community, to that work. And, and it's, it's going further than saying, I'm for God, but saying, I am for God here. I am for God in this place. I am for God with these people. And so the ch this church can be my spiritual joy. God blesses me here. I get fed here. I, I grow spiritually here through my time here with the people here. It's my social joy. I've got brothers and sisters around me and they're as close as my actual family. I like them more than my actual family sometimes and they are my greatest friends in the world. And it's a joy to, because Jeff, you can take them or leave them, but oh, my, my group of friends here, that's what I love. My select joy, I choose here. Um, Matthew is in Croatia at the minute, visiting the folks in Koprovnica. Croatia is 26 churches in the entire country. We've got that in Newton Arts. Which means that I come here each, each Sunday and I could be here by myself because there are plenty of other churches that you could attend. They say, this is my select joy out of all the other churches, out of all the other places that I could worship God and find friends. I choose to come here and I long to be here. And it's my supreme joy because out of all these places, I know I'm connected to something bigger here. I'm part of the church and this church, and it's a joy above all others because it reminds me of my salvation. It reminds me of the work that Christ has done for me and is doing through me and what he intends to do in me down the line. And so, yes, you absolutely can be a Christian without being a member of a local church. The thief on the cross didn't become a member. Plenty of people in, in, in difficult circumstances cannot be members for one reason or another. But what I would say is for those who have the option, for those who have the choice, it is impossible, impossible to be a Christian dedicated to God's word and yet live content to ignore one of its requirements. It's like trying to say, I, I'm a soldier. All right, what regiment? Oh, I don't believe in regiments. Right, okay. Well, who, who, who do you fight with? Everybody. <laughs> I, I, I'm a student. Oh, where do you go to school? Oh, I'm not enrolled anywhere. Right, okay. I, I, I'm a footballer. Who do you play for? 
I wouldn't commit to just one team. Right, okay. I'm a Christian, but I don't belong to a particular church. And what that tells me is that while you may be saved and have experienced grace, your life isn't marked by it. You're, you're not living out that grace. You're living in grace, but not living out grace. Let me explain. Grace, as we've said, is what holds us together, what draws us together, is what binds us together. For all of us who are saved, being told by God, you are forgiven. He doesn't tell us we're perfect. He says, you're forgiven. And that holds us together. It's what enables me to be patient with you because I know God has had to be so patient with me. And you know how to be patient with me because you also know that God's been patient with you. And it helps us to be forgiving and gracious and supportive. Now, here's who I'm talking to this morning. Here's who I'm not talking to this morning. Who I'm not talking to this morning are the people who are here and you're hurting and you're struggling. And it feels like you had to drag yourself to get to church this morning, physically or spiritually. You had to drag yourself to be here and you're barely walking with God because you've just, this week's just beating you up or the last month's beating you up or this year has beaten you up and you're struggling and you're like, Jeff, you're talking about being here and doing this. Saying, I... I can barely sit here and engage just because where I'm at. My message to you this morning is come. Come and rest. Come and be revived. Come and be healed and restored by God's presence and God's people. But the emphasis would still be to you in that process, belong. If you're struggling, Come alongside and belong. If you're feeling isolated and alone in this walk, then come alongside and belong. Belong. He says, no, but Jeff, you see, here's the thing. I used to go to a different church, and that church hurt me. I am sorry. I am sorry you had to go through that. I am sorry you had to experience that. It is not how it ought to be. But don't be like the teenager who gets dumped and says, he broke my I am never dating any boys ever again. So I think, well, that seems really strange because we'd all be single at that point then, wouldn't we? You know, the first person who broke our hearts was says, well, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. Just because the, the first one wasn't the right one doesn't mean you can't find a home. Doesn't mean you can't find that family. One church who dropped the ball isn't an excuse to stand outside of living out grace and denying yourself that comes, that denying yourself the blessings that comes from obedience to God's word. But take time to heal. Learn to forgive. Forgiven people know how to forgive. Loved people know how to love. And then walk in that grace and live out that grace. Because forgiven people forgive. But hurt people hurt people. So, so whether you want to become a member of this church or not, secondary at the moment, but if you're hurting, you need to deal with that. You need to forgive. You need to be able to move on for your own sake or you're going to be carrying that hurt with you. Grace is the earmark for our churches because nobody's perfect. We are all imperfect. And because no one is perfect, it is because of that that we need each other.
nobody is sufficient in and of themselves, and so we need each other to support one another and to be, fulfill one another. Praise God for that. Praise God that we always look that wee bit hypocritical to the world. It's one of the greatest criticisms of people in churches. Oh, they're full of hypocrites. Yeah. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we walk in grace, because we're not perfect. Could you imagine if someone walked into church this morning, they've never been to church or they've never been to this church, and everybody was perfect? Every family was perfect, and everyone walked in, and and every single note played on the platform was perfect, and every single message was perfect, and every conversation was perfect, and every life was perfect, and every job was perfect, and every... Would would you feel like, oh, this is the kind of place that I belong, where I fit in? I mean, I'm the pastor of this joint. I wouldn't feel comfortable being here. I can stand up here and say, hey, guys, now let's... I, I don't feel like I could because you guys are all perfect. But because I know none of us are perfect, and because I know that we're all striving in grace and living out grace, then I get the the point as to grace. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the grace that we have... uh, We have this restored relationship with God now. And we are in Christ and there's this permanent unbreakable bond now between us and him individually. And the illustration that the Bible gives us is marriage. Because marriage is not contractual, it's covenantal. And that's a very different thing. There's a big difference between having a contract with someone and having a covenant with someone. Contracts rally around goods and services. You do A, B, and C, and in response, I will do X, Y, and Z. If you fail to do A, B, and C, I will not do X, Y, and Z. It's a contract, terms and conditions. But if you have a covenant, then you give yourself to something. You give yourself to someone. And this is huge if you're going to get any more of this message. God's relationship with us is not contractual. He doesn't say, I will love you if. I will bless you if. I will be with you if. That's not how he operates. He says, this is who I am. This is who I will be to you. Here I am. God's relationship with his church is I'm giving myself over to you. And I am enough regardless of what you can bring to the table or what you think you can bring to the table. And that's spectacular. It's why we love vows at weddings. When we go to weddings, Ruth and I have got two weddings in the next two weeks, and we're excited about them. But they're, they're not contractual. Could you imagine whenever they, they get to the vows and the groom trying to hide this, that, the wee single tear that's coming down, says, oh, she's so beautiful, she's so beautiful. And she's going, I am so beautiful, I am so beautiful. Everyone's looking at me. And then they get to the front, and the minister opens up the, the kind of uh, the, the, the legal documents, and the solicitors gather around and says, okay, so um, I'll bring home money if you clean the kitchen. Okay, agreed. Well, if I clean the kitchen, you better be doing the DIY and the gardening, and we can split the ironing, and we can do this. And I said, well, so romantic. Maybe that's what marriage is like, but it's not what the wedding's like. We would hate that. But God's love is not contractual. It's covenantal. And so if God's relationship to his church is covenant, how do you think he expects us to operate between each other? Contractually? No. 
covenantal, and that is marked through membership. Love one another, serve one another, greet one another, rebuke one another, correct one another, build one another up, outdo one another in love and honor. It's covenant language, not contractual. It's not, if you don't do this, I'm leaving the church. If you don't do this for me, then I'm leaving in a huff and I'm taking people with me. No, it's membership says, I will give myself to you, the rest of the membership. I will become this type of a person for you. This is who I will be for you. Not, you have to do this for me. It's, I will be this for you. That's membership. And that's the nature of the relationship that God has with us. This is who I will be with you. And so that's who he wants. That's what he wants us to replicate to each other. And that's vital for us to know. But what we're going to do now is we're going to move to how the church is ordered, okay? Uh, it's relational still, but we're going to talk about it in a structural way because God puts structures and boundaries in place for our good. Our society doesn't like this. We kind of rebel against rules and rule makers. Uh, you know, can you name a popular politician? No. Because we resent people who try to lord it over us. Especially when we know they're not perfect. It grates on us. We don't like it. But to not protect the thing that is most precious to us is negligent. And God is not negligent. He is going to protect the thing that is most precious to him. And that is the church. And the church is the people, the people who belong to him. So he is not indifferent towards us by putting these structures in place. He is not indifferent towards me. He is passionate about me. He is passionate about you through the blood of Christ. And in that love, he has put structures around so that we can flourish and grow to be more like him. Society needs it, all right? You, you just look around the world. You look at some of the countries around the world where law and order has broken down, where there's no civility, there's no structures, there's no protection, and it's run by people who do what they want as they want. Does that country grow? Look at some of the countries. Look at Colombia. Look at Somalia. Look at some of these other countries. And we would have to say, well, that pattern doesn't work. Anarchy doesn't work. How would our country do without the police, without the army, without the NHS, without the education system, without the judicial system? And look, listen, I know they are far from perfect systems, but every one of us here can recognize we need the systems. They, they, they need improved. They need funded. They, 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 they need to be done right, but the structures are needed to protect society. So why are we surprised then when God says, I want to put structure into this amazing new thing that I've created, the church? I've structured the universe that I create. Why would I not do it for the church that I create as well? And there's an there is no explicit text in Scripture. If there was a verse that says, you must become a member, that would be really handy. We don't have that. Um, it would be awesome. But there is um, enough biblical evidence uh, commanding in Scripture, that I believe it leaves no doubt that obedience to God and living in obedience to His Word demands, not suggests, but demands that you become a member of our local congregation in a way that's much more robust than you showing up on a Sunday. Again, I'm not saying that you must join this church. 
what I'm saying is you must join our church. That's going to let you grow and flourish. Let me show you. We're in Hebrews 13. Uh, we're going to pick it up verse 17. And it's just going to start with a really difficult word. Uh, but my argument, or my first biblical argument for church membership, or sorry, the Bible's first argument for church membership is how it's structured. And we're starting with that really awkward word, okay? What's that first word? Obey. Okay, I'm nervous about this already, but I'm just going to have to stand on this. And if you have a problem, right, will you take it up with the writer of Hebrews? Not, not me, okay? Because I'm just quoting him. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Whenever we join churches, I know we don't go with the attitude of, ah, do you know who would be a really good ruler over me? That guy. That's what I want to do. I'm going to, we don't think like that. What we think is, I like the preaching, or I like the music, or I like the children's work, or I like how I've got friends there. I've got, and we kind of operate on those kind of, we tick those boxes, and then it's down the line whenever we start to think, right, well, can I belong there? Can I? But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says there are leaders in the church that you have to submit to. Now, if we're going to talk about whether membership is biblical or not, if you just want to take up the position of saying, well, I just believe in being part of the universal church, how do you fulfill this Bible text? Because do you have to then submit to all the church leaders? Because if you're part of the universal church, then you have to obey everyone. So you just come to Newton Arts itself, and then you have to sort of say, okay, right, well, I'm going to listen to the Methodist minister. I'm going to listen to the Elam pastor. I'm going to listen to the Presbyterian minister, the free Presbyterian, the reformed Presbyterian, the free reformed whatever Presbyterian, and me. Who are you listening to? Because if you're going to say, I'm part of the universal church, then, okay, you obey the, the leaders universally. See how you get on. <laughs> because if you, ha if you say that that's what it's about, you're tying yourself down to that. Um, but it's the next wee bit that we read that, that as an elder and as the elder elders who were with me on the platform there, we are responsible for you. And so does that then imply that if you're all just part of the universal church, as church leaders, we're responsible for all the Christians everywhere? <laughs> oh dear. That's, that's a broad stroke, isn't it? Now, I don't believe that for an instant. I, now, am I to be brotherly to other believers? Absolutely. Am I to engage whenever I can, wherever I can? Of course. Should I respect and love everyone in the Lord? Without doubt. But for whom am I going to stand and give an account? Who's Robert and David and Brian and John and Jonathan? Who are we going to have to stand and give an account for when we get to heaven? For me, I believe it will only be the members of this church. No one else. Not the attendees. Not the people who showed up. Not the people who kind of came at Easter and Christmas time. Just the membership and the, the young families of those who are in membership. Those are the people who we're accountable for. No one else. God has entrusted to me and to the elders of this church what is extremely precious to him. And look, most of the time, my attitude is, oh man, I'd rather not have that responsibility. I don't want that pressure. Let me just preach. Let me just teach. Let me just go, go about it and not have this kind of weight hanging over me that I'm going to have to stand before God who knows and sees everything that, okay, Jeff, well, how did you treat this family? 
how, how'd you, what was going on here? Lord. But I, the elders here will stand before God and give an account for the people in our care. And so I would very much like to know who those people are so that I can go after them, fight for them, get in the trenches with them, uh, and pour myself out for them so I can stand before God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, hand on heart, I understand that we are not perfect. But we are bound together by grace. We're living in grace, and each of us are living out grace. So listen, folks, know that we're trying. We will mess up along the way. We will fail along the way from time to time. Please be patient with us. Please don't hold a grudge. We understand how important it is to serve well. God will judge us. Don't jump on the bandwagon, okay? Don't kick us when we're down. Help us. Show us where we're failing that we might make amends and move forward. And this argument from Scripture, it is a, a structural one, but it is about relationships. It's still covenant. It's not about controlling. It's not about lording it over, but stooping low to serve, knowing that we're going to give an account. Imagine having a babysitter, and you say to them, look, we want the kids in bed for about half seven. Don't feed them up with sugar. Um, if you try and maybe tidy up a wee bit before we get home, that would be awesome. And then you'll get your reward, your due reward. And then you come back in and it's about quarter to 11, 11 o'clock, and uh, there's smoke coming out of the bathroom for some reason. Uh, the TV is gone. Uh, there's ice cream dripping down the walls of the living room, and there's a child missing. You sort of think... Uh, you're not getting your reward. You're not getting that payment that you think you're entitled to. You would have a major problem because you would have trusted something, someone with the things that are most precious to you, the children that you love, and they let you down. And that's how I feel being your pastor. God has handed me this thing that he loves so much and has handed you over to the elders of this church to care for and to nourish and to mature and to encourage and then hand back. That's serious, serious stuff. And it means that I better and ferociously be committed to you. But it also means that you need to trust us as well. And I know trust is earned. Trust is earned. And trust can be lost. And it takes a long time to build up again. But trust us. At least allow yourself the chance to trust us. Be that kind of person for us as we try to be this kind of person for you. Covenant relationship. Let's move on. Second text, 1 Corinthians 5. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that not even tolerated among the pagans. In other words, he's saying, guys, you are so busy about grace. You start letting anything slide, going, hey, oh, that's happening, but it's okay because we love you and we love God and Jesus forgives. And so things are going, again, guys, guys, even the people who are sinning in the stag do city center of the world aren't doing the stuff that you are doing. He says, and why is boasting about this? Ought you not rather to mourn? 
let him who has done this be removed from among you. Okay, so be removed, as in be removed from membership. You can't remove him from the universal church. The church doesn't have the authority to do that. Salvation is of God and God alone. So he says, okay, remove people from membership. Now, Matthew 18 also goes and says that, and there's this four-step guide to church discipline. So if someone is sinning, someone, and, and you know it, a brother should go and confront them privately by, by just that one-on-one conversation. Say, look, listen, I'm worried about you. I see this is going on in your life. I, 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 this, isn't, this doesn't match scripture, and I'm, I'm praying for you. Let, let, repent, and, and let's go forward together. And if they refuse to repent, if they recognize that it's sin, but they don't care, then get a few other people and say, look, listen, we are all concerned. This isn't right. This isn't glorifying the God. You need to make amends. You need to take steps here. Let's do something about this. And again, if they refuse to, to acknowledge that, well, they, they acknowledge that it's wrong, but they refuse to do anything about it, then it goes to the church Verse 17, to me, that says it goes to the leadership of the church, okay? So once you've tried it one-on-one, once you've tried it as a group, you, you take it to the leadership of the church, uh, and you see if there, there's some way of getting involved then. And if there is still no repentance, if they still choose their sin over their brothers in Christ, if they choose their sin over their sisters in Christ, if they choose their sin over the authority of the leadership of the church, the final step is, right, well, then you don't belong here then. Because this is about covenant. It's about being a certain type of person for one another. It's about believing and being for one another. And if you're refusing to do that, then you can't be part of this. Because the leaders have to protect the church and someone who refuses to be the person that they promised to be, deliberately refuses, time after time after time refuses, then they do not deserve to be part of that. So this isn't a salvation issue. This is about underlying how important it is to be the people that we're called to be and to, and to live holy and pure lives. And so it's to protect the church and about being accountable. And it's one of the heavy weights that falls on us as leaders. Um, it's never fun, but it's important. But here's the question in, in relation to leadership. If there is an out, don't you agree then that there must be an in to begin with? It says, oh, I don't believe in membership, but oh, we're going to kick you out of membership. Well, what does that mean? How does that, what is that supposed to look like? If there is an out, there must be an in. And I would argue that the Bible argues for church membership based on her structure, based on how God has decided to protect his people and to judge the church's leaders. It's the structure that he's put in place. There are those now who believe in church membership but do not practice as we do a formal church membership. Um, I have great pastoral friends who don't do formalized membership. Their idea is, hey, if you come, you're in, okay? And I don't know how that works. I know how many times you come before you're in or how many times you have to be away before you're out. But they'll just, they'll just start doing this to whoever comes in. It's like, oh, Matthew 18, repent. And, and they're just on it. And if you come in the door, you, you're held to this standard. Now, in one sense, there's nothing sinful or wrong about that. In fact, I believe the structure and obedience and the submission, all those things that we've talked about, can work without the formalized membership list. But selfishly, I think it makes it so much harder for those who are charged with leading the church to know who they're responsible for and who they're going to give an account for whenever you don't know who is actually saying that they belong and who they, who's saying that they don't belong which means that you have to 
approach us about joining the church. We're not going to go chasing after you. That's not how it works. We don't want to drag people in who don't want to make that commitment. We don't want to make, twist people's arms because this is your call. It's between you and God uh, because there is a covenant expectation. I will be this person for you. So that has to come from you. We can't impose that desire on you. You have to come to us with that desire saying, I want to be this kind of person in this church. Can I, can I belong? Can I be a part of that? Uh, and you'll find that the system is very easy. You know, we'll, we'll not fight people who come to us with that attitude. So when you do ask to join, two elders normally will meet with you and they'll have a chat. What do we talk about? We talk about the Constitution. We talk about the things that we believe. We talk about how we operate um, and all the rest of it. And the idea is that you know what you're signing up to. It's about giving us an idea of where you want to serve and where you want to belong because that's what membership is about. It's about belonging and using your gifts and using your talents and using your resources and using your, 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 your time and energies to build up the work of the kingdom here and to glorify God here. That's the call. Now, we don't do age, age restrictions on, on our membership. We don't have a big list of criteria. But what we are looking for is for to see that commitment from saved, redeemed, Christ-following people who are mature enough to understand the weight of that uh, and to, who are prepared to put their shoulder to the wheel here and to seek and to make much of God here. There are no perfect people here, but we do expect to have committed people here. That's the call of membership. And all we want to do is by that visit and by that kind of process is put all our cards on the table because what we don't want is a member coming in six months or two years down the line saying, well, hold on, we believe what? I've been endorsing what for the last however long? We want people to know what we're about. And provided that the elders sense that everyone understands what a covenant relationship looks like, usually people are brought into membership fairly quickly afterwards. Let me just finish our time, and I know time is over, but let me just finish by reading uh, out some of the one another's from the New Testament. If that's how we are called to interact, if this is what membership is supposed to look like, then I don't think we can go through this enough. To me, this is the commitment that a member, uh, not just a new member, but all members are making every single day to each other. The covenant vows that we make, um, not just a pastor to people, but from member to member, the emphasis on all of us equally. Love one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Confess to one another. Don't be passing judgment on one another. Don't slander one another, but instruct one another. Grieve for one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humble to one another in love. Be compassionate to one another. Do not be consumed by one another. And that's an important one. I can't say it enough. We are going to disagree sometimes. That's the richness of the tapestry of different people belonging together. But there is a way as believers in Christ Jesus that we can disagree without being disagreeable. 
And if we spend any time on the internet at all, we will see that, you know, whether it's Christian posts or Christian blogs or Christian videos, Christians are very bad at this, not consuming one another. We're, we stink at it. We are not to devour one another. That's not what we do. Someone said that the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. It ought not to be. When we disagree, when we disagree, we disagree in a way that shows we have been shown grace, we've experienced mercy, forgiven people forgive, loved people love, hurt people hurt people. But when the grace of God has been lavished upon us, we will definitely extend it to other people. I have a hard time trusting a brother who's wiping off the dagger that he's just taken out of someone else's back. Don't be consumed with one another. Do not be angry with one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another. And carry one another's burdens. Again, it's covenant, not contract. Which means I am not demanding of this you. I don't come in and I say, Oi, you better be more like this. You better be more like this. Otherwise, I'm not going to pastor anymore. Or I'm not going to come anymore. Or I'm going to take the huff. But if we all come with the attitude of, This is who I am going to be for you. We have a shot of something really beautiful happening here in this church. Something really beautiful. And the whole town's going to stand up and take notice. But if you come as a member or as an attendee with the attitude of, you better be this for me and I'm not going to reciprocate, I'm going to put you on the clock because it's only going to be a matter of time before you start the same arguments that probably started in your last church and you fall out with people in the same way that you fell out with people in your last church and it won't be a matter of time before you move on to somewhere else because you miss the point of belonging in a church and you're going to repeat the problems that you've had before you do not come in here and demand anything you come in here and you become for the benefit and the glory of God and for the benefit and the glory of the people here around you. That's the standard. May we strive to be this kind of people to one another. May the power of the Holy Spirit empower these things in us. That's the call for members. To simply refuse to sit and be entertained on a Sunday. Now, again, listen, I understand people have come in here maybe this morning and you're beaten up by life and you're struggling and you're finding it tough and you're I'm barely walking spiritually. I'm struggling with this. I know, I know, okay? So sit, rest, be healed, be refreshed. And when you find your strength again, then join us in the work. But until then, belong and feel the warmth of that as other members minister to you. The church has to be a community of believers together, pointing to Christ and serving one another in how we talk to one another, how we talk about one another, how we live our lives. It's a family. It's a body. And that's what membership is about. And I'm signing up to be that person for you. Not just showing up. But showing up for the sake of others. Let me finish with a poem. It's called, If You Want to Kill Our Church. Never come to our church or meetings held there 
And if you do go, be late. It's no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, then stay at home and rest. Sure, there'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure to remember to find fault in the work in each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. Never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize the work of its host. If not on a committee you're placed, be sore. If you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling the world how it ought to be done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you find the faithful ones work themselves sick, stand up and holler. It's run by a clique. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some who are in a season where this is easy, even delightful to hear. And for some of us, that's just not where we are. It's been hard to hear where there are men and women who are battered and bruised in here. Father, by your Spirit, will you now do your work where something has been misheard or fear has crept in or the enemy has begun to lie? Would would you break the jaw of our enemy, as as David said, Lord, that Satan will not whisper into people's lives? Lord, give ears to hear. Lord, might this message be good news to all who would have heard it. Help us be these kinds of people. I pray, move us forward in obedience. Move us forward in glad-heartedness to obey and to submit that you would continue to protect the hearts of the elders here, that they would continue to feel the weight of Hebrews 13, that they would continue to take seriously the call to shepherd the flock of God in this place. And may we feel the weight of the seriousness of the subject and give our hearts gladly to it. It's through your beautiful name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. We're going to sing, and then we'll go into our time of communion. Thank you.